What I want to talk about today is something I've actually talked about uh, a few times, kind of spread out, spread out over the years, but I'm going to take a pretty different approach to it today. Uh, but I will be reading from 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 to 22. So if you have a Bible, that's the place that you want to be uh, uh, looking up right now. Um, uh, what is it? Thessaloniki, I think is how they pronounced it. Uh, it's a port city. So Paul was writing, this is one of the earliest books of the New Testament in terms of when it was written. He's writing to this, um, this town where the Thessalonians are. It's about 280 kilometers, what is it, northeast of Greece. Uh, and it's kind of, it's a port city and it was bustling and full of life and pretty sure that it was like a, a center of Roman kind of power. It was on the road from Italy through to the rest of the Mediterranean. So it was like a really important place and lots was going on there. So uh, Paul did some church planning there. And then I think he's in Corinth, don't, not 100% sure, where he is then writing to them. Um, uh, so what I want to do is I want to read through this, but there's some really unusual features about uh, this particular section of scripture that have really only stood out to me since I kind of learned Greek, because before that I could only read it obviously in English. So in Greek, there's this thing where we have verbs that we call imperatives. Uh, and a, um, a, an imperative is kind of a Greek version of an exclamation mark. So it's imperative. That's why we call it the imperative. Uh, and so it's a command verb. So it's a really uh, strong or forceful kind of verb. And in the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul does not make any uh, commands. He doesn't use any imperatives at all in the entire thing until chapter 4, verse 18 where he says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Uh, so there is these four chapters where he doesn't use a single imperative. And then he uses this one towards the very end of chapter four. And then in chapter five, he goes absolutely wild with these, uh, these commands, with these imperative verbs. Uh, he throws out 17 of them over 12 verses. Uh, so it's kind of like he's had this long introduction and then he just hammers them with these uh, these commands one after the other there. Uh, the other thing I want to point out about these particular imperative verbs is that all of them that I'm going to read through to you here are what we would call second person plural pronouns. Uh, not pronouns, they are second person plural. So they are saying, I'm commanding not just one person, I'm commanding you all. So it's a collective command. So he's writing to a group of people and he's addressing these to the group of people and saying, you together must do it. So when we read it in the English, though, we don't get that strong sense of command or that strong sense of this is to all of you uh, as much as I feel that we that we should. So I'm going to read here from 1 Thessalonians 5, 11 through to 22. Therefore, encourage one another and build there's another one, each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace. Another one there, with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn, imperative, those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure, this is kind of in two parts, make sure to watch carefully is the full bit. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, 
but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. Now, so there were 17 of those there. I don't know if you were keeping count. I tried to emphasize them all and probably sounded pretty ridiculous doing that. Um, so I'm going to just start from the beginning here and work my way through the text. So we're just doing really straightforward Bible study now. Okay, so therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. This is important because Paul is giving them this list of commands, but he's not doing it to rebuke them. He's doing it because they are already doing well. He's encouraging them and building them up and trying to say, hey, you guys are good at this. So I want to thank you for being good at this. So um, this is meant to be an encouragement and I hope that it will be an encouragement for us as well. Indeed, if you look at the very first opening words of 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul, this is in verse 3, he says, We constantly remember the accomplishment of your faith, the hard work of your love, and the patience of your hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God our Father. Uh, so I hope that this is an encouragement. All right, so the next bit, everyone's favorite, uh, not everyone, this is the pastor's favorite verse in uh, verses in the whole Bible, I think. We don't, I've only read these once in the past, but I, these are crackers. It says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Amen. Who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. So I don't read the ones a lot because uh, they do seem a little self-serving. Uh, even more so, N.T. Wright says that when, when it says here that you should hold them in the highest regard in love, N.T. Wright uh, in his commentary on this, he says they're talking about money. Uh, so basically he's saying make sure you pay the people who are in charge. Uh, if they are spending all their time and effort to, to serve you, you should look after them. Uh, so uh, you can take his commentary um, deeply to heart, I hope. Um, but at the same time, remember, Paul is encouraging them. So this is not a rebuke. He's saying, I know you do look after your leaders. Uh, so don't cause them trouble. But, but treat them with uh, the highest regard and love. Okay, so then though, this is where the tone of this scripture, it doesn't change to not being encouraging, but it changes and it builds up significant pace now. We have 14 imperatives in nine verses. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. So this warn here is the first of, our, uh, of those 14. You must, it is imperative, you must warn those who are idle and disruptive. Now this word that we have for, uh, that we translate into English as idle and disruptive is just one word, uh, but it kind of has a whole bunch of different meanings. So that's why we end up with idle and disruptive, to try and cover the, the breadth of its possible meanings. Uh, but it could just as easily be, be translated as warn those who are lazy, warn those who refuse to work, warn those who are irresponsible or disorderly. Uh, and then it says what we should be doing. So it's, it's kind of making a contrast here. It's saying don't be lazy, but rather encourage the disheartened, help the weak and be patient with everyone. Uh, so here is my warning uh, to us as a community, especially whilst we are in lockdown, we are not able to do our regular work. 
some of us are, are trying to work from home or we have kids at home with us. Uh, but I suspect there are some who, um, who are just feeling a bit uh, idle. And I would say, um, don't, don't be idle. Uh, get up, put your clothes on, do the things that you need to do in order to maintain uh, productivity. And not just, be, you know, like, I'm not saying that you have to do stuff to be a good person. Uh, but what I'm saying is, don't just get bogged down here. Don't allow bitterness or fear or anxiety or uh, any of the things that are going on in your world right now or that have happened in your past to stop you from moving forward uh, in this time and this season. Um, get on with being patient and encouraging one another and helping those in need. Do whatever it is you need to do. Don't be idle. And then it says, make sure. Uh, and, it, and, and this word is saying, make sure to watch carefully. So the, the word is about watching something. That nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. See, don't be a vengeful person. I know that that's... Uh, that's a little bit hard. Don't pay back wrongs for wrongs, even in your heart. Uh, rather, strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. All right, now we get to the kind of the bit that we've all heard before that's been read a million times. This is in verse 16. It says, rejoice, imperative, always. Pray, uh, again, imperative, without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. Again, an imperative. So we have those three imperatives uh, and none of them have a direct object. So it's just throwing it out there. Uh, it's saying, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And remember that you, it's all of us. It's the, the will of God for Christ Jesus for all of us together. So we rejoice always. It means to be glad. And I know that uh, when everything looks bleak, it's difficult to, to rejoice. Uh, but this is why we need to find a deep uh, kind of joy, a joy that is not connected to our circumstances, a joy that is not connected uh, to what is going on or how people are treating us or how we're, but it's a joy that is deeply placed in our relationship with God and in our faith. We need to be optimistic and hopeful. When we share our joy uh, with God and with one another, uh, we that, that joy comes to completion as praise. Uh, as a quote from C.S. Lewis' uh, reflections on the Psalms that I love. He says, Delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. I love that. When we share our joy, it becomes praise. And we are creatures of community and fellowship. Uh, we, we need to do this together. So to just privately do joy is beautiful, but to share that, it becomes something more. When we share of our wonder or our pleasure or our awe, our satisfaction with, with God and with others, it, um, it, it gets received in heaven as praise and our joy is made complete. And it says, pray without ceasing. Now, this is a mindfulness practice, but it's not like an Eastern mindfulness practice. In Eastern meditation, people try to empty themselves of everything uh, to the extreme, even to empty yourself of all desire and all uh, so that you become, um, so that you cease to exist is the ultimate goal of, of many Eastern practices. But in Christian faith, when we pray without ceasing, it's to bring everything uh, that is in our world to the attention of God. It's to constantly be bringing these things to uh, to our relationship with God. So it's not about being disconnected from everything. It's about being deeply and intimately connected to those things and sharing them with God. And right now, we have plenty to pray about. Uh, 
There's so much going on in our own uh, lives, but for ourselves, but also in our community and in the, in the world itself. There is so much struggle and brokenness and challenge. Uh, there is plenty for us to bring to God. And to pray without ceasing, uh, it, you know, like I've said this before, it's kind of like doing anxiety without ceasing. We know how to do that. You, you, every, even when you're eating or when you're watching a movie or even when you're asleep, you wake up in a cold sweat. We know how to do anxiety without ceasing. And I think we need to learn how to do prayer without ceasing. So focused prayer where we sit and we practice and do contemplative practices and prayer, uh, they are to help us when we're trying to pray without ceasing the rest of the day. So that focused prayer is the exercise that makes us strong uh, for the practice of prayer, of prayer without ceasing. I want, to, I want to read a short section from a sermon from a guy named Charles Spurgeon. This is from uh, uh, 1872, so it's, it's pretty old. Uh, but I love this. This is what he says about this. He says, pray without ceasing is, if I read it aright, a most sweet and precious permit to the believer, to pour out his heart at all times before the Lord. I hear its still small voice saying, Come to the mercy seat, O my child, whenever thou wilt. Come to the treasury of grace whenever thou desirest. The happy gates of gospel grace stand open night and day. The doors of the temple of divine love shall not be shut. Nothing can be set uh, nothing can set a barrier between a praying soul and its God. The road of angels and of prayers is ever open. Let us but send out the dove of prayer, and we may be certain that she will return unto us with an olive branch of peace in her mouth. Evermore the Lord hath regard unto the pleadings of his servants, and waiteth to be gracious unto them. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Nope, it doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. It says give thanks in all circumstances. So Paul, the guy writing this, he, he had some pretty challenging circumstances at the time. And he didn't say, God, I thank you that my ship is wrecked. Or God, I thank you that I'm in prison. Or God, I thank you. We don't pray to God and thank him for pandemics and Thank him for challenges or sickness or all the nonsense and trauma and, and grief that's going on in our lives. But in the midst of all of those challenges, in the midst of all that, we can still give thanks. So this is not saying deny the reality of the challenges of your life. It's saying despite the challenges of your life, bring the, the wonderful, simple elements of gratitude that you have uh, to God. Gratitude is a powerful antidote to the toxins of bitterness and fear and resentment and entitlement. There are so many things in our world that are trying to make us uh, lack gratitude. Uh, so it is a powerful act of worship and a powerful act of uh, and declarating, uh, declaration to say, no, I will have gratitude. And again, I just want to draw attention to you here. When it says this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, this is a second person plural pronoun. It's saying for you all. Uh, it's the y'all. This is God. This is um, the will of God in Christ Jesus for y'all, for all of us. We should all rejoice 
always. We should all pray without ceasing. We should all give thanks in all circumstances for it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for all of us. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. This is a beautiful scripture that shows us what community should look like. It shows us what the body of Christ should look like. It's not just a private invitation to pray and to have joy and to have gratitude. It is a corporate invitation for us to witness and example these things to one another. And what's more, it's not meant to be perceived as a new law. Uh, that's not what Paul's doing here. When he's making these imperative commands, he's not saying we've done away with the old law, but here is my new set of laws. I'm going to whack them all in one spot for you. That's not what's going on here. He's saying this is the basis of a new kind of community, a new kind of kingdom. And so just as children learn uh, the, the mother tongue, they learn to speak by being immersed in the language of their families and the people around them. They learn all the conventions of language. They learn all the rules of language. They get it and they, they learn to speak. And it's this remarkable miracle. Paul is saying, may all of these things, these imperative commands, these musts, may they be part of your community such that they become second nature to you. That they become the environment that, that your children are raised in, that your children also, uh, that all of you, that this would be what you just look like and what you sound like and what you are like. Not that they are a law that must be obeyed, but that they are the culture in which that you thrive and that is normal. Taking these imperative commands to heart means building a community of encouragement and of peace and of patience where the uh, disheartened are uplifted and the weak are supported, where everybody strives to do what is good for one another. This is a community that always rejoices and always prays continually and gives thanks in all circumstances. And I think being part of the community of, like, of that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is a great blessing to be together. So the challenge of this for us today, the imperative of this for us today, is to figure out how to stay connected even though we are not allowed to be together in the same ways that we have done in the past. Even though we can't be sitting around a room together and worshipping together today, how do we stay connected? How do we take responsibility? How do we not be idle about being connected? So if you're being idle, if you're struggling, maybe someone needs to come along, not to warn you in a rebuke, but to warn you and draw you back in. Be calling one another, be checking in on one another, be helping and caring for one another and making meals for one another. This is a call for our whole community to be together more intimately in this time of great challenge than it is to allow ourselves to just slowly become disconnected. These commands remind us that we must not be idle in doing good. We must not be idle in lockdown, hiding away uh, in our worlds, uh, being being alone. But we need to actively pursue relationship and intimacy with one another and with God. So at the end of, of this uh, chapter, uh, there is a, a benediction of sorts, uh, and I want to read that to you now. It just says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. And that's a, another one of those uh, those yours. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you all through and through. May your, all of you, may your spirit, 
soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you all is faithful and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are ever ready, ever waiting to hear our prayers. Just as I read from Spurgeon earlier, the happy gates of gospel grace stand open day and night. The doors of the temple of divine love shall not be shut. And nothing can set a barrier between a praying soul and its God. The road of angels and of prayers is ever open. Let us but send out the dove of prayer and we may be certain that she will return unto us with an olive branch of peace in her mouth. Evermore the Lord hath regard unto the pleadings of his servants and waiteth to be gracious unto them. So Heavenly Father, we wait before you. We love you. I pray that we would find the time to practice being in your presence, to practice being grateful, to practice sharing our joy so that it may become complete in praise. I pray that we would pursue one another uh, doggedly during this season of challenge, that we would warn one another about being idle uh, and draw one another into being good to and serving and, and pushing forward in our faith and in our community. So Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing upon us as we go. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.